morning, guys. How are you? Sorry, I got a little bit of a cold, so I sound my voice a little bit deeper than normal. Normally, it's super high-pitched, so you're in luck today. Well, I want to introduce my family to you. I'm, I'm by myself in person, but I think we got a picture of my family. Uh, there they are. Awesome. Uh, that's my wife, Christy. Uh, we've been married for 16 years, believe it or not. Uh, we were married illegally at age eight, so you can do the math for how old we are. Uh, and those are my kids, um, 11, 9, and 4. Those are their names. Just kidding. Um, and we, you'll notice we all have the same haircut, and that's because my wife cuts our hair. So she gives us a good deal. Uh, but we are going to Spain. How on earth did that happen? Uh, we've actually been in Denver, Colorado the last seven years. Uh, I was the missions pastor at a church there. We started a Spanish congregation, and my wife was the children's pastor. Super happy, got to go all over the world, and one of our trips we went to was Turkey. I've been to Turkey four different times, and I love Turkey, both the country and the bird and its meat that it produces. Uh, but we were in Turkey, and we were visiting a friend of mine. You can do the next picture. Uh, this is our friend, Anne. Uh, some of you may know of her, but Anne, uh, her husband passed away in Turkey. That's, we're standing in front of his grave, and so this is about 90 miles from Syria, and this was my third trip to Turkey. I was also about 25 pounds heavier. You can see my face is fatter in that picture. Praise God. That's not an important detail, but anyways. Uh, God was just doing something in me, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where the Holy Spirit is doing something in you, but it's not really registering in your brain what it is. And I was just a mess on this trip. And it was obviously an emotional time, my, visiting my friend Stan's grave, and you know, just this area is such a needy area, one of the most lost countries in the world. And a couple days after this picture, we went to Izmir, that's close to where the ruins of Ephesus are, and we actually were at Andrew Brunson's church, the guy that was released from prison. He was still in prison then. And, and God just, that is interesting, there it is, wow. <laughs> that is my other child, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I saw it on that screen too, I was like, I wonder if that's on the big screen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, where was I? All right, focus. I have bad ADD, so that's not a good thing. Uh, so we're in Izmir, and we get, this was actually about three months before, no, I'm sorry, three weeks before the attack on the airport in Istanbul. So it was a really tense time. We get an update that uh, it's about the highest warning you can get from the U.S. Embassy. And so our team suddenly felt really encouraged to pray. There's nothing like the threat of death that makes you want to go to a prayer meeting. And so we, we prayed in our hotel room, and it was just one of those prayer meetings where God just came down, and we're praying for each member. And I went last, and they prayed for me. And right then, this hap hasn't happened much in my life, I had a vision, and I saw like this map of the Mediterranean region and this big red arrow pointing to Spain, which I'd visited Spain about five, six times. And, and the name of the city, Valencia, God speaks that to me, and he says, I want you to go, and I want you to plant a mission-sending church in Spain that will send Spaniards throughout this region. And I'm kind of thinking, this is the baklava that I ate. You guys have baklava? That is like the dew of heaven, all right? I'm like, this is the baklava I ate last night. And, and right then, a young guy on our team, he's praying, knows not, obviously nothing of what I've just seen, and he starts prophesying and literally describes exactly what God just showed me. And so God has to make it really obvious for me. And so that's where we're going. That's why we're going to Spain. I love telling that story to my atheist neighbor. It's really cool to see their expression. Um, so we're going to Spain, and, and God spoke to us to do in Spain 
what we did in Turkey. In Turkey, we would go out, you know, no Bibles, no tracts, nothing like that, and just rely on the Holy Spirit and see miracles happen. Spain is very modern, it's very beautiful, and it's very lost. Uh, we're going to Valencia. It's more or less the size of Metro Denver, where we live, or Metro Seattle. We'll go to Seattle because they have a better football team. Um, in Denver, I almost get stoned for saying that, but Imagine Seattle has over a thousand evangelical churches of, of all different denominations. Uh, Valencia has 12 of any denomination and mostly very, very small. And so we went there, I went last year with my oldest son, and, and I asked the Lord, I said, God, give me a sample of what you want us to do. So we went out to the plaza, the plaza, and we're just there and we're trying to talk to people. We had a team from our church. And uh, to be totally honest, my son had to use the restroom. And so he goes to the bathroom and I'm waiting there and there's this lady, Rosa, you can show the next picture. This lady, Rosa, is sitting there, and, and she's smoking like 15 cigarettes at a time. And I felt like God tell me to talk to her. And so I was like, really? So I go up, and I'm like, hey, what's your name? And we're talking, we're talking about the town. And, and she was an odd lady, I'll just be honest with you. She was really into new age and her crystals and these whacked out dreams she's having. And I'm like, God, how do I talk with her about Jesus? And and finally, I just kind of get an impression from the Lord, and I said, I go, Rosa, you know, you don't know me. I don't know you. Jesus changed my life a few years ago, and, and I felt like he spoke to me about you. And that's that you have suffered at the hands of a lot of men in your life, and that because of that, you think God is like that, and you hate God. And today, God wants to change that and show you that he's very different. And she got super quiet, and I honestly thought, I just messed up. <laughs> um, and this is a dumb thought, but I literally thought she's going to, she had a purse, and I thought she's going to grab her purse and hit me, and someone's going to put it on YouTube and film it, you know, film it on their phone, and I'm going to, whatever. And I got really scared, and all of a sudden, she starts crying, and she's like, you know what? She goes, I, I was abused as a little girl. I've been married and divorced three times. All of my ex-husbands were physically abusive with me, and I've always hated God. And she said, but two nights ago, I had a dream, and I thought, oh, great, here we go. She's like, I had a dream, and there was a man dressed in white, and he knew my name, and I couldn't even look at him because his face was like the sun. That's the words that she used. And he tried to come and hug me, but I wouldn't let him. And he spoke my name, and he said, Rosa, in two days, someone's going to come and give you hope. And so she looks at her friend that was with her there, and she goes, she goes, this is not true. She goes, we normally meet in my apartment, and we smoke our cigarettes. She goes, but we decided to come down. I told my friend, we have to go down to the plaza because someone's coming to talk to me. That showed me in my dream. And she goes, I think you're that person. And I was like, I think I am too. You know, and it was so awesome. I went from like the depths of despair, I just messed up to this is awesome. And I mean, she just, she was bawling as God just touched her. She ended up buying us Coke Zeros. That's my son, you know, we, we drank some Coke Zeros with her. And as we walked away, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He's like, Ryan, I can do that every single day if you're willing to listen to me. And so that's what we're going to Spain to do. Uh, thank you guys for your prayers. We got prayer cards out there. If you grabbed one, those are 500 bucks each. So make sure you make that up. All right, Pastor Kelly. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Ryan. Ryan's going to come back because uh, I, he's preaching for us today. And I'm excited about it. He's going to preach in English, so don't worry. Um, but uh, I just felt the Lord say, I think he's got a word for our church today. And so I, he'll be coming back to preach in a moment. But I think it's important for us to respond to a need presented to us. You know, many of you will never have the opportunity to go to Spain. But I can tell you, uh, being in, in France, being in Paris, uh, the highly secularized cultures that are happening in once prominent 
uh, places full of uh, Roman Catholic churches, but yet people are dying spiritually. And so I'm so excited about what God is doing through you guys. I know you and Christy will do a great job and your kids. Uh, but we want to pray for them, and we want to bless them today. Um, he's here to, to connect with us, and maybe what the Lord is doing in your heart is he's dropping something in your heart about supporting uh, monthly the work that the Thomases are doing in Spain. And I want you to be obedient to that. Others, he's saying, you know what, I need you to pray. I want you to pray for this couple and for their kids. And so make sure you grab a prayer card when you're on your way out. But I'm going to invite the ushers to come and wait upon us for the morning tithes and offerings. And if you want to give a, a designated gift today to the Thomas family on your giving envelopes, you'll notice there's a missions line. You can designate that giving uh, to the Thomases. If you're giving online, you'll see a missions opportunity there on our online giving. Um, and you can designate that missions gift. Just write their name in the designated amount you want to give. If you want to give online at albanync.org, we encourage you to do that. Um, but I think it's important for us to partner with. You, you see the Apostle Paul all throughout Scripture, especially when he's talking to churches about being generous and about putting gifts together to help advance the work of God. And I believe that's something we're going to be uh, able to do as well, individually and collectively as a church. So um, as we pray... Be obedient to what the Lord is saying to you. Maybe you're kind of going, I, I hear the Lord saying I should give, but Kelly, this month is pretty tight. Well, if the Lord is telling you to do something, I think Ryan gave us a pretty good example of uh, being obedient, even when it doesn't feel right, because the Lord is always generous uh, to those that are faithful in giving with what he's doing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Thomas family. God, we thank you for the call they've had in their life already as they've followed you in missions in Mexico, and now they, they have this new call in front of them in Spain. And Lord, um, while we look at Spain and go, what, what a gorgeous place to minister, Lord, there are people that are dark spiritually, and there is a darkness that hovers over these cities. But we believe that you're the light of the world. And that you call missionaries to go and plant churches that will lead ministers to become their own missionaries in their own community. So God, I thank you for that. And I just pray your financial blessing upon the Thomases as they are raising funds. Lord, as they're almost ready to leave in just a few months, that God, you would bring the rest of, of their support in. That God, you would put it upon the hearts of people here at Neighborhood Church to be generous. To be generous with our, with our resources, be generous with our prayers. And God, we just pray that as they would continue traveling, you'd be with them, just protect them as they're communicating with individuals and churches. God, we just thank you that you're going to be with them, you're going to go before them. And Lord, we're going to hear as they come back in the future with us, we're going to hear more stories of how you are supernaturally working through them to advance your mission in a region of our world that truly needs it. So we ask your blessing on this offering as we give and your blessing on the Thomas family. And we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. So uh, next week, we're kicking off a series, uh, Stay Positive. Now, I know this sounds psycho-babble-ish, but friends, let me tell you, we are living in days today when people are becoming highly cynical. And there is a high amount of cynicism within the church and within our community. How many know you can feel it? You start talking about certain topics, and we won't mention them, but you start talking about certain topics and everything just starts unraveling. Well, as believers in Christ, we have every reason to stay positive, whatever life brings our way. We're going to look at biblical promises that help us know that we can live positive. So come back next week. We kick off that new series. Uh, youth, you are dismissed to your classes. Um,
Hopefully you come back next service. Some of you students come twice. Hopefully you stay next service to hear Ryan, because I believe God calls people at a young age to missions. And, uh, and so uh, if, if that's you, young person, I'm sure Rob will give you permission to stay if you feel just a, a call toward missions. It's always good to hear from missionaries. Uh, a couple of more things that I'm going to turn it over to Ryan. First of all, um, out in the lobby, besides seeing the missions table, and we want you to stop by and see Ryan after the service, there's also a table that, uh, for our Royal Family Kids Camp foster parent programs that we do also now starting a fair, uh, foster parents night out coming up in the new year. We want to, to see um, a lot of foster families blessed and ministered in this season. And some of you remember the Pushing the Envelope event that we had uh, earlier this year. Um, we're going to do another Push the Envelope event, and it's for the purpose of raising funds to help us minister to foster families. And so if you want to help support that initiative, all you got to do is go out to the table, pick an envelope that has a number on it, and that's the amount of money you put in that envelope in cash or check, and bring it back and drop it into the little container that's there for you to do that. That's just a way for you to be a blessing, because uh, foster families are often giving a lot of their time and energy, and they need a break, and they need people who will come around and support them. And so that's just a one way you can do that. Maybe some of you can take a few envelopes as we push the envelope. And then secondly, some of you have lost stuff. I don't know how you leave a coat behind at church, but some of you have done that. And coffee mugs and water bottles. Um, and so if you're kind of going, hey, I think I left something behind. In our fellowship room today, which is just down the hall, you'll see a table full of stuff. And we're going to give you a few weeks to come pick it up. And if you don't, it's going to be donated to a local uh, organization, all right? So make sure that you stop by the Lost and Found table in the fellowship room uh, to check it all out. Well, Ryan, we've heard the missions aspect of what you're doing, and I'm excited about what God has to share with us today through you. So can we give Ryan one more time a hand of applause as he comes to speak with us? Thank you. All right. Well, good morning, guys, again. God bless you. Can we show that video? No, just kidding. That was a great video, man. I like that. Uh, thank you very much. Well, I love your pastors. Uh, known them for a long time. My wife probably knows Kelly more than I do, and uh, she was a children's pastor in Denver, and she would even say, almost everything I learned, I learned from Kelly Dufour. So that'll tell you something. She did an awesome, awesome job. Well, uh, last weekend, I was actually here in Portland. We live in Denver, but I was here in Portland last weekend, and I actually spoke at a Russian church uh, in Portland. That was a lot of fun. I do not speak Russian. So I, I did that through an interpreter, and we had a Friday night thing. They're nuts, man. We went till one in the morning on a Friday night. They're crazy, and there was no vodka involved. That was my Russian joke, all right? Don't be offended. Um, and then we had a Saturday thing, and then, and then Sunday. And uh, after the Sunday service, the associate pastor, his name's Paul, huge guy, and he comes up to me after the service, he's just kind of emotional, and he's like, Ryan, this is a terrible Russian accent, but go with me. He's like, Ryan, it, that was so simple, so simple. You are a simple man. You are such a simple man. He's like, even the child understand your message, you know? And so I was like, well, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, uh, but you're in luck today because this is very simple, all right? I am a simple man. Uh, I don't have three points or five points. I just have one point. Uh, this is a one-point sermon. But I feel like it's a message that God has for you. And I will tell you this. Uh, I really do genuinely pray about what I'm going to speak on. I don't just preach a canned message, okay, if I could say it that way. I travel all the time. Uh, and so I've never preached this before. This is not just something that I've regurgitated. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, I really felt like this is a word for you. So open up to Ephesians 3. We're going to hang out there for a little bit. But I want to start with a question. 
with a question for you. How many of you would like to be filled with God? Amen? All right? I think we would all, that's a pretty obvious question. And I'll word it a different way. How many of you would like to be filled to the fullness of God? That sounds pretty awesome. That actually sounds a little bit impossible, doesn't it? Uh, And I'm actually talking about a verse in Ephesians. Uh, It's verse 19 of chapter 3, the second half. Paul is actually praying for the Ephesian believers, and he ends it by saying, he's praying all this so that you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, I want that. That sounds pretty awesome. How on earth are you filled with the measure of the fullness of God? That sounds impossible because how many know God is pretty big? Uh, He's infinitely big. And yet, Paul is saying that we can be filled with the fullness of God. How many, how many people would describe us that way? Man, you just look like you're full of God. You look like you're absolutely full. The sad thing is I think a lot of us, even in church, we actually are pretty empty sometimes. We can actually feel very dry and very empty. So how does that happen? How can we be filled with the fullness of God? Because I, I believe that's what God has for you and I. I think God wants us to walk in fullness. We, we, I love communion. I absolutely love communion. Communion is not some just religious ritual. It's the basis, the center of our faith. I love thinking about Jesus and the cross. Jesus died and rose again, not so that we could just survive and get by, but so that we could walk in fullness, that we could have abundant life. And the picture that I, I have to try to think of that, because uh, Paul, he says in Ephesians 3.19, let me go ahead and read that verse, the, the ha- second half. He says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the ESV version. Filled, that, that Greek word literally means to fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting to full measure, to fill to the brim. Now, if you take a cup and you pour water in it, You can fill it all the way to the top, and then you stop. You say, oh, it's filled. And if you'll notice, if you could zoom in, there's still going to be a little bit. Really, the way to be filled is when you're overflowing. So you keep pouring. That thing is constantly filled, and that's the picture. So how are we filled with the fullness of God? I know this is a big concept to be talking about, but let's say you take a bottle, and you go to the Oregon coast, and you chuck that bottle in the ocean. If that bottle doesn't have any kind of a cap or a cork in it or anything like that, That bottle will be in the ocean, and then the ocean will go in the bottle and completely fill the bottle. Is in the bottle, and the bottle is in the ocean. You get the picture. Now, if that bottle has a cork in it, then it can be in the ocean, but it's not filled with the ocean. Well, that's the picture this morning, is God wants us to be filled with his fullness. That's actually how it describes Jesus in Colossians 1 and 2, but Colossians 2, 9, it says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's, so God wants us to be like Jesus, that we are full of God, that everywhere we go, we ooze God on people. Are you with me? And so that's God's will for us today. So let me read the whole thing. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. This is about 10 years after Paul has planted the church in Ephesus. And man, the church in Ephesus started with a bang. It is incredible to read about in the book of Acts. And so this is Paul 10 years later writing to them. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I'm in Ephesians 3, 14. That according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love. Two of you read it. Come on. Rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all of God. There it is. So Paul is literally saying, man, I'm on my knees. I am praying. I am interceding. What is he interceding for? Paul could have prayed a lot of things for those Christian believers in Ephesus. He could have prayed, man, I pray that God would give you promotion, that you would get a better job and a bigger house and a sweet car. He could have prayed for many things. I pray that you would have peace. He prays that they would have a revelation of the love of Jesus. Are you with me? And he says, because if you get that revelation of the love of God, that is is going to lead to you being filled with the fullness of God. Isn't that interesting? That it's the revelation of how much Jesus loves us that opens us up to receive the fullness of God. That is powerful. Love. How many know God doesn't just love us? God is love. He is love. It's who he is. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite quotes A.W. Tozer says this. He says, whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Whatever comes to your mind when you think about God, that is the most important thing about you. And in many of us, in our heart of hearts, God is a distant God. He's kind of uninterested. He doesn't really care about the details of my life. And that's, that limits our experience with God. He's boring. He's unimportant. Again, we're in the ocean, but the ocean is not in us because we don't really believe that God loves us. God's been doing kind of something weird in my life where, uh, you know, I, I love Bible plans, and every year I read the Bible at least once, and I do these little Bible plans. And this last year, the Lord spoke to me. He's like, I don't want you to do that anymore. He's like, I'm just going to tell you what I want you to read, and I want you to stay there as long as I tell you to stay there. So I'm like, okay, sweet. And so, you know, he took me to different books of the Bible. Well, the last month, he took me to a book called The Song of Songs. Shoo, all right? I mean, you read that thing, all right? That is an interesting book. And I'm like, at first I'm like, really? Now you want me to read that? And so, for a month, I have been in The Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, whichever title you prefer. That is actually in the Bible, all right? And, and it's done a couple things in me. First of all, it's all about love, God is love. God is not a boring, uninterested, dispassionate God. He is passionate. And the other thing that it's done is my wife and I are expecting our fourth child. Just kidding. That's a joke. All right? <laughs> but look at what it says. Song of Solomon 8, chapter 8, verses 6, 7. You can just listen to this. I mean, listen to this passion. He says, set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. 
If you think that God is boring, I, I don't know how much more bluntly I can say it to you, you are wrong. <laughs> he is not boring. He's not bored. He is in love with you. He is passionate. He is fiery. That's the consuming, powerful love of God. Uh, one of my favorite books is, is a book called Soul Searching by two authors, Smith and Denton. And in it, they basically say that most Western Christians, they did a whole survey for years and years, they said most Western Christians are what, what they would describe, they came up with this term, are moral therapeutic deists. That's a big, that's a mouthful right there. That's MTD, all right? You're, no, you're not MTD, but moral therapeutic deists. And he, he's basically said, he, he's talking to people about people in the church. He said most people in the church pretty much believe this, believe five things. There's a God who exists, who created and ordered the world, and he watches over human life. God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and most other world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself. God doesn't necessarily want to be particularly involved in one's life, except when you need a problem to be solved. And good people go to heaven when they die. And he says, that's, they discovered that's what most American professing Christians pretty much believe. The only problem with that is, that's not really the Bible, <laughs> And it says it's moral, hey, we want to be good, and it's therapeutic, meaning we basically only come to God when we got a crisis on our hands, and a deist, a deist basically believes that God wound up the universe and let it go, and, and he's distant and not really involved. That's not the Bible. The Bible really is a love story from beginning to end. It starts with a wedding, it ends with a wedding. Everything about what Jesus did is to restore relationship, love relationship. You know, Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins. He doesn't want to hug your sins. He wants to get rid of your sins so that he can have you. 2 Corinthians 5 says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a relational term. That means that you were far away from God, but now through Jesus, you can have intimacy with God. You can know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. Think about that one again. Paul says, I pray that you would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. How on earth can you know something that surpasses knowledge so that you can be filled with the fullness of God? Well, I love it. It actually is much easier to understand in Espanol because in Spanish, when they ask you, hey, do you know Paris? Do you know London? Do you know Albany? What they're actually asking, that word conocer, means do you know from experience? It's not do you know about, it's have you been there? Have you walked the streets of London? Do you have personal experience? And that's what Paul is praying for you and I, for followers of Jesus. I pray that you would experience the love of Jesus that your tiny little brain, all right, I'm not insulting anybody, but your brain cannot comprehend and that when you experience that love, it completely opens you up to receive the fullness of God, to receive his fullness. We need in the church today a revelation of the love of God. There's a guy, Paolo Bottari, Paolo Bottari. He's Italian descent, but grew up in Argentina. He has a great book called Free in Christ. And I got to meet him many years ago. Actually, during 9-11, I met him. We were down in Argentina when 9-11 happened. I got stuck there for like three extra days. But we went down and we worked with a guy, Carlos Anacondia. Carlos Anacondia is about five foot two. He is he's an amazing guy, an evangelist, preached to millions of people. 
And, and he has, I went to his crusade, they have a big, they have two tents in their crusade. They have a big tent and a small tent. And when you go there, he, gets, he preaches a very simple message on the love of Jesus and giving your life to Christ. But a certain thing happens when he gives the altar call. First of all, I've never seen anything like this. They actually have people, they have ushers that hold ropes at the front of where the seats end. And you're kind of like, why are they holding ropes there? Well, people, they get so convicted and the Holy Spirit touches them so strongly, people start to try to respond before he's even done preaching. And so the ropes are to hold them back. All right, that's something cool. And so then when, when he gives the invitation, they drop the ropes and people literally run up to the front. And then he begins, the first thing he does is he leads them in a prayer to accept Christ and then he begins to rebuke the devil. And, but when he starts to do that, people start collapsing everywhere. And I've been there, I've seen it. And, and they grab people and they carry them into the second tent. And so we were with a missionary there, Dave Ellis, and, and he's like, hey, come on, come with us. Let's go check out the tent. I'm like, sweet. So we go over there. And that's where I met Paolo Botari. Paolo Botari is in charge of what they call the freedom tent, the deliverance tent, whatever the heck you want to call it. And you go over there, and there's, you know, basically hundreds of demonized people. All right? Sounds like fun, right? And so I go over there, and, and he's ministering to people. They have a whole team, and they're getting people set free, and there's people. A lot of fun, all right? It's a great place. But it was awesome. You're seeing people get set free. Well, Paolo Botari said something that just blew me away. He gave a, a kind of a workshop at the conference we were at, and he said, you know, sometimes we have very hard cases, and, and they'll bring someone, and we don't know their background. We don't know where they've come from. Some of them are into witchcraft and who knows what, and, and even our team members have a hard time getting them, you know, set free from, from this oppression that's on them, and he said, invariably, I know how to get them free. He goes, I have a solution, and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. He said, when we've exhausted everything else and we can't seem to get the person free, he's like, I will get down on my knees and I will grab that person and I'll bring them right close so that I'm talking right in their ear. And he said, from the depths of my soul, and I pray that God helps me to express this with, with the depth of meaning that it is. He goes, I whisper into their ear, Jesus really, really, really loves you. And he said, every time, boom, that opens them up and they get set free. And I was like, that is really simple. <laughs> That's Ephesians chapter three. When you have a revelation, and I'm not talking about a general revelation that God loves you, but a specific revelation, Jesus actually loves me. I had a major drug problem growing up, and, and that was that I was drugged to church every week. Oh, isn't that good, come on. I love that joke. <laughs> my dad was a pastor. My dad was a missionary. I had to go to church. That's when we had Sunday night church. It was every stinking night, man. My, pa my dad was a missionary in Mexico. We had, we had services six nights a week. And, and I'll be honest with you, I grew to hate church. I'm just going to be honest. I, I, I turned my back on God at the age of 16. I actually vowed to a friend that I would never, ever go back to church once I got out of the house. It was, I knew how to act. Believe me, I, I could have won an Oscar for best actor in church. And I, I'd go up, oh, God bless you, brother. How are you? Praise the Lord. And inside, I'm suicidal. I actually attempted suicide twice when I was 17 years old. I was so away from God. And finally, at, at that age, I literally just gave up. I said, this Christianity thing doesn't work for me. I actually professed to be an atheist. 
I uh, believed in existentialism. And, and if it was sin, I did it on purpose because I knew God didn't like it. And I, I literally, to the point that I would actually listen to music on purpose that would mock not just God, but mock Jesus. I, I was in a very, very, very dark place. If you, you, can see, <laughs> if you can see some pictures of me back then, I had like black fingernails, you know, I, I love black. Black is a great color for me back then, okay? And, and I was just in a bad, bad, bad way. My whole life, I had heard, Jesus loves you, you know, and I'm like, oh, good for him. Yeah, I'm glad he loves me. It was never real in my heart. When I was 18 years old, I was a senior in high school, I was with my friend, and he was actually a, a, an MK also. MK means messed up kid. I'm sorry, means missionary kid. That was an insult to other MKs. Not every MK is messed up. I was, and my friend was. And we had actually just vandalized a car, all right, out just blessing the people of Mexico. My parents were gone. His parents were gone. And, and we order a pizza. And we go to his house. And uh, it's just him and I. Again, there's no worship music. We're not watching sermons. We're not at church. That is the furthest thing from our mind. We have a Domino's nasty pizza in the kitchen. And uh, my friend, we're talking. And all of a sudden, he starts getting weird. And he's like, man, Ryan, I am not right, man. I know I'm away from God. I'm like, yeah, I know. I am too. Like, chill out. What's the big deal? And he starts crying. He's like, dude, we got to pray. We got to pray, man. I'm messed up. And I'm like, chill out, Darren. It's okay. Like, and so what I told him was, he's like, we got to pray. We got to pray. I said, okay, why don't you go upstairs and you pray? And I will stay down here because I don't want to pray in front of you. That's embarrassing for me. And so he's like, okay. So he goes upstairs. And my honest plan was to eat the pizza while he was praying. And so he goes upstairs, and I go to this pizza, and I love pizza, and, and I go to eat the pizza, and I couldn't eat the pizza. And that is a miracle, because I love pizza. I just, it's like I lost my appetite. Again, you have to understand, I grew up in church. I've heard it my whole life. I prayed every empty prayer. I'm at, oh, Lord, thank you, Father, for this wonderful blessing. It just meant nothing to me. I sit down, and again, there's no worship music. There's no preacher and I, I couldn't even describe what I was feeling. But there was something deep in me that really wanted God to be real. Again, I, I attempted suicide twice because I, there was something in me. I was a little bit chicken. I was afraid that hell might be actually real. And so I couldn't go through with it. I actually wrote a note to my parents. I said, your son is so worthless that I can't even kill myself successfully. I wrote that letter to my parents. And so I'm sitting in this kitchen. The only thing I knew, I probably sat in silence for 10 minutes. The only thing I knew how to do was just, I began to say the name Jesus. Just really under my breath, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I, that's all I ever prayed. I never prayed, Father, I repent of my sin. Turn my back upon the world. I didn't, all I said was the name Jesus. And something happened. <laughs> it was like an explosion. And I, I started bawling. I mean, snot was coming out. When God moves in my life, dude, it's ugly. I mean, I'm like, <sighs> I'm bawling. All my life, I had heard people say, you know, at church, isn't the presence of God here? And I wanted to stand up and be like, no, what are you talking about? I want to go watch football. I don't know, you know, sorry to be that crass, but I, that's what I thought. That's where I was. That night, I felt the presence of God. And again, you have to understand, I was not sinning like PG sins. I was in the rated R uh, sins, okay? I was 
bad. I literally was into witchcraft. I started getting into like dark stuff. I felt a flood of the presence of God over my life. I ended up, I was sitting in a chair. I ended up on the floor, this tile floor. And all I felt was love. Just incredible love. The most pure love I've ever felt in my life. And the revelation that blew me away was, Jesus, you actually love me. (laughs) Me. I am a screw-up. Sorry. I am messed up. I have an older brother that was athletic, handsome, he's amazing. I was the weird younger brother that everyone's like, God bless you. Lord, help him, you know. Just felt wave after wave after wave of the love of Jesus. You know what I never feel or did never hear? I never felt God say, hey, I love you, but dude, we got to talk about this junk that you are doing. Never. All I felt was the pure, unadulterated love of Jesus. I was on the ground. I thought I was on the ground for about five minutes. I was on the ground for three hours. And I looked up because finally my friend had come downstairs. He's sitting in a chair. I'm on the floor, so I'm looking up at him. And I remember trying to tell him, man, don't I look stupid down here? <laughs> and and it, again, waves of God just going through me. And I'm, I'm bawling. And then I'm laughing like a lunatic. Well, that's weird. Yeah, it was weird. And it felt awesome. All right? And you have to understand, I was, I was suicidally depressed. I'm laughing. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm crying. I'm, I'm like, like a lunatic. And I, I'm trying to talk to him. And all that would come out was speaking in tongues. And I wasn't speaking in tongues. I was yelling in tongues. And when I got up, all I could do was jump around like this. And he's like, what is your problem? I'm like, Darren, he's real. Jesus is actually real. He's real. I, I can't believe it. He's real. And he starts crying. He's like, dude, I, uh, pray for me. And so I go up to him. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just put my hand. I go, Lord, touch him. Boom, he falls to the ground. My friend got totally rocked by God. What absolutely changed my life was the revelation of the love of Jesus, specifically to me. That is so powerful. Many of us know a generalized, oh, I'm sure God loves me. No, God actually loves you. He is passionate about you. Why is this important? That's really touchy-feely, Ryan. Good for you. Glad you you feel like God loves you. Why is that important? Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and I close with this. He's writing to these Ephesian believers. It's been 10 years since they've known Jesus. He's like, guys, I pray that God will reveal to you that you would walk in that revelation of how much Jesus specifically loves you because that's the key to being full. We love him because he first loved us. You with me? Well, look at what happens. This is 30 years after that letter. Revelation 2, 1 to 5. Here's the Spirit of God speaking through John to the church in Ephesus. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, this is Revelation 2.1, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. And I know that you're enduring patiently, and you're bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Just pause right there. Jesus, he really says four things about them. He says, you guys have amazing work ethic. Man, you serve and you work hard. He says that they have endurance. I mean, these are faithful, solid people. 
He says they have correct doctrine. They don't put up with this junk and heresy and false teachers. And then he says that they even endure hardship and even persecution and they remain faithful. That's pretty good. That's amazing. But then he goes on and he says this, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus is saying, in essence, man, you guys are doing this stuff. You're faithful, you work hard, and that's good. But you are not in love with me anymore. You've lost your first love. And he says something that is wow. He says, you need to remember. He tells him to do two things, remember and repent. Remember. Do you remember how stinking crazy in love with me you were? I want you to go back there. I want you to be back there. He says, if not, I'll remove your lampstand. Now, that's really interesting. Because in the previous chapter, it says the lampstands are the church. They are the churches. Jesus, in essence, is saying, if you, don't, if you don't come back to love with me and walk in love and receive my love and, and it's relationship, you'll still keep doing the stuff. You believe right. You act right. You're a moral therapeutic deist, but you're not mine. It says Jesus walks among the golden lampstands. He said, I'll remove your lampstand and I just won't be with you anymore because you're not my church anymore. I've been to Ephesus. I've been to those ruins. They actually call that area, again, one of the most lost areas in the world. You wanna know what happened to the church in Ephesus? They died off. Turkey, it's in modern day Turkey, is one of the most lost places on planet Earth that you can go to. 75 million people and about 5,000 Christians in the whole country. It's sad. This is what it's all about. And it starts with receiving the love of Jesus. Would you stand with me for one second? We love because he first loved us. And I just want you to raise your hands to him, just like this, just receiving. Some of you, really in your heart of hearts, you don't believe that God actually loves you. He knows you perfectly, and to some of us, that scares us out of our minds. He knows every detail of your life. He knows every flaw, every blemish, every mistake. He knows you perfectly, but here's the other truth. He loves you perfectly. He sings over you, is what the Bible says. And I'm telling you, when you get a revelation of how much God loves you, it opens up everything. It brings fire into your life. Lord, I pray over your church right now that each person individually would have a revelation of the love of Jesus, that the fire of God, the fire of God, the love of Jesus would invade your heart in such a way that you can never be the same, that you can't be apathetic, you can't live empty, that you would be filled with the fullness of God because you know that God loves you, that God delights in you. Now, some of you are just like I was. You, you go to church, but you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. 
If that's you and you say, you know what, I need to be honest. I'm, I'm away from God. I need God to wash me, to cleanse me, to forgive me. I want you to raise your hand right where you are, really high, so I know that it's you. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Right where you are, just put your hands on your heart. Let's all do that. Put your hands on your heart. Lord Jesus, just repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, say it out loud. Come on. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for loving me, for really loving me. I turn to you right now. Take the good, the bad, and the ugly. Just take it all and fill my life with your love. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and be my best friend. From this moment on, I live for you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name.